pastors here at Portico, and let me just say welcome. We're really glad that you're here. It's good to see your faces. If you are visiting from out of town or if you're looking for a new church home, we're really grateful that you are here, that you are willing to worship with us and to enter into a time of um, learning from God's word together. And I just want to reiterate the invitation to join us downstairs afterwards for our Fellowship Sunday hour. We'll have some refreshments and um, good conversation down there. So please join us for that. We are continuing to kind of kick off Galatians, this powerful letter, this um, bombshell, really. And today we kind of get our first taste of the mood of the Apostle Paul. Um, And I was thinking about this, and it feels like he's a parent who has been telling their kids over and over and over not to go into the street, not to chase the ball into the street because they could get hit by a car. And for the fifth time that day, they see their kid go into the street after the ball and almost get hit by a car. And there's just an exasperation. There's a concern. There's a terror even in how he is communicating in this letter. And his mood, his feelings for this church are in the context of what my old pastor in Denver described as a good old-fashioned religious squabble. There's a fight. There's a battle that's taking place in these churches because within the churches, there's sprouted up division and teaching that, you know, yeah, Jesus is nice. We believe in Jesus too. But you need a little bit more. You actually also need to learn how to follow all of the laws that were given to Moses. You have to follow the purification laws. You have to be circumcised. You have to become Jewish, in other words. In order to be really Christian, you have to become Jewish. And so that's the religious squabble. And that is a little bit detached from us, I would say, I don't think that um, we too often hear of people or churches that are trying to make everyone Jewish in order to be a part of their church, but I know that we do this in other ways. And so this is actually incredibly relevant to us. And I think even the distance helps kind of disarm us, and it helps us see things clearly and in a different way. So I'm going to go ahead and read. We're just going to be in a few verses this morning. Um, And this is really kind of like Paul launching into the meat of this letter. So we're going to be in Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Please pray with me. 
Heavenly Father, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. We come to you this morning in need. We need you to help us see you in your word. We need your help to know how to apply and respond to your word. To live lives that are in accord with it. To store it up in our hearts. God, we ask now that you would give us your spirit. That we would see you in this text. That you would speak to us. That we would hear and respond. Lord, help us to receive and rest in your word here this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. The gospel alone brings you home. The gospel alone brings you home. This is something that Paul knew and that he had bet his life on as he met Jesus and was sent by Jesus to pronounce the gospel to people that he would have never dreamed to include in the family of God. He went all over the place. One of the places that he went was Galatia, modern-day Turkey. It's a region where he preached the gospel in various towns. One of the towns that he preached the gospel in was Antioch. And in Antioch, this was really early on in Paul's ministry, he preached the gospel, and it was received in mass for the first time by Gentiles, by those outside of the Jewish faith and culture. And what happened at this church in Antioch is that as you had these two cultures combine under one heading, something new was going on. And so for the first time, as Acts tells us, at this church in Antioch, as Jew and Gentile are brought together by the grace of Christ preached by Paul, for the first time, people in that place were called Christians because they didn't know what else to do. It was so new. It was so jarring to see people who hated each other before now loving each other, part of the same family. And it was like a home had been created. And it was beautiful. And it's the same group of churches who are now starting to go to those Gentile believers and say, mm, yeah, you started out right, but we need you to come along and we'll show you what it really looks like to be God's people. Now, I don't know if you've ever had something like that experience before, but I have. And so I want to tell you a little bit of a story to kind of set this up, to kind of help us with what's actually going on here and why Paul is so upset and why it's so important for us. So when I first went to college, I was not a Christian, and I was going to a college that was a Christian college. I didn't know that at the time, but <laughs> yes, I found out very quickly. And here's how I experienced it as an outsider. Very quickly, I learned that there are two types of people who use the same word to describe themselves and to describe them, their faith, Christians. 
I didn't know. I hadn't really been exposed in that quantity to Christians before. And there was one group that excluded me, that made it very clear, hey, you don't belong here. We don't approve of the way that you live. We don't approve of the questions that you ask. And so walls went up. Here's one, one story. It's really, it's painful. But it's important to show just how pernicious and wicked this is. At the time, I was dating a girl who was on the soccer team. And there was gossip about her. So these Christians, so-called, would talk behind her back and would talk about how she dressed and how she acted and what she did. And it got to the point where someone thought it was a good idea to write an article about her in the school paper. And it was this feeling of complete and utter alienation for her, but then for me too. I was just like, oh, this is, this is what Christians are? And it was disorienting for me because I knew enough to be somewhat familiar with the Bible. And I was just like, these people claim to know this guy who hung out with sinners, who even though I didn't understand who he was, I understood enough to know that this was not how he instructed his disciples to treat people. That this was contrary to how he lived. And thankfully, there was another group at that college. And it was a group who I met in class and who very quickly invited me to play cards with them, to hang out with them, to know them, who loved me, who told me that I needed to know the real Jesus. I needed to be confronted with him in the word and to believe in him for salvation. And I argued with them, and I didn't believe, and I didn't believe, and I didn't believe in years, a couple of years of being their friend and just being around them. And then one day, I was living with one of these guys at this point. I became his roommate, and so moved in with him. And he had left his like journal on his desk open. And I'll, I don't, he did not do this on purpose. I know he didn't do this on purpose. But it was a prayer list. And secretly, on that prayer list was my name. And he had been praying for me without me knowing. And his hope was that God would reveal himself to me. And he had been putting up with me and my foolishness and how much different I was than he was for those years praying for me. Now I share this because I think what gets at the heart of this passage for us is that today, in our world, this letter would have been written to a Christian church that was made up of people who had grown up in the church, 
and who had kind of adopted a church culture, adopted a language, a way you looked, a way you talked, a way you dressed, a way that you did things, and then other people, people who didn't grow up in the church, who were a mess, like me, people who didn't know the language, people who didn't know what they were supposed to wear or what they were supposed to say, but people who had met the risen Lord in his word, had believed the gospel. And so for us, we are faced with the question of what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be an early Antioch church or a late Antioch church? Are we going to be a church that is receptive of people and that continues to believe that the gospel alone brings you home? Or are we going to be a church that attempts to make our own home, to build on a different foundation, to say, actually, in order to really belong here, you have to look like us, you have to talk like us, you have to dress like us. We don't necessarily do this explicitly, like with what we say, but we do it all the time in just how we behave, how we act. And this, isn't, this is kind of a silly example of this, but just bear with me. You'll pro- it'll probably be familiar to some of you. The first time that I had started going to church was probably the late 90s. My dad had just become a Christian, and he was trying to take his family, who'd never really been to church, the whole family, I was a teenager, to church. And I was like, this is weird. What are we doing why are we here? But something that I noticed was that there was a status. In the church, there is an unwritten, unstated status that if you were a real serious Christian at this church, you would take a Bible and you would put it into like a trapper keeper thing. <laughs> and it was this Bible cover. And it was the strangest thing to me. I've never seen anything like it. A bunch of people, like adults, carrying around a trapper keeper with a Bible in it. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Some of you still might have some of those. I'm, you know, nothing wrong with them. You're welcome here. <laughs> but what became apparent was that people have this desire to be affirmed externally by each other, to know that they belong. To know that they belong. So they start looking around, and they start saying, oh, I should look like that. I should act like that. And so those people then raised a generation of Christians who became Acts 29, and who said, oh, no, that is wrong. What we need to do is we need to try really hard to look like people who aren't that. And so you get a ton of tattoos, and you wear a denim jacket and gold chains and rings and do, I don't know, it's crazy stuff, right? But it's the same thing. It's trying to make external signs of belonging to God's family and then gaining approval from other people. And so that's homemaking. You're trying to make your own home. 
And it becomes this unstated expectation in a community as that starts to happen that in order to really belong here, you have to do that. Yes, the gospel is the front door. The people that Paul is accursing in this passage believe that Jesus was Lord, believe that he was the Messiah, believe that he forgave their sins, believe that he would come again. But instead of putting an exclamation point, they put an and. You also have to get circumcised. You also have to wash in this certain way. You also can only touch and handle and eat these certain foods. So they were adding on to the stable, secure structure of the gospel. They added on. And it leads to destruction because it's a different gospel. Here's why it's a different gospel. Going back to last week, the gospel is Jesus giving himself for your sins, delivering you from death to life. Jesus doing all of that. That is the gospel, the good news, that it is he that does it, who has accomplished it. And it is now what you believe in him that has already happened. So if you really believe that, how silly, can I ask you, is it to think that if you wear plaid, that is why you really belong? But, the, but we all do it. We all do it. Or that you have to use certain Christian language or listen to certain music. Or you can't listen to the, that music, right? We do it in all sorts of different ways. But if you really have experienced the power of the gospel, the deliverance that Paul talks about, the freedom of it, there is nothing else to add. And as soon as you add to it, you deny that you've experienced the power of it. I was thinking of Jesus explaining these two different people who were praying One of them is a sinner who's confessing his sin and saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the other is a Pharisee. Says, God, thank you that I am not like that sinner, that wretched man. Two people who probably believe the same thing about Jesus, but one of them had experienced the power of being confronted with God walking in the flesh with being offered forgiveness and hearing the words of Jesus, you are mine and I am yours. There's a difference between the prodigal son who feels the embrace of his father and the older son who's trying to earn his inheritance, and his father's approval. One of them will find more things to do in order to get there. The other is full of his father's love. The gospel alone brings you home. 
There's another thing we have to address here, and we'll get there later in Galatians 2, but I just want to mention it because it's equally a problem because it's a different kind of gospel. If the first different gospel, not that there is another one, was legalism and homemaking, trying to make your own home by what you can do and what you can build, the other one is in home-breaking, a gospel of license, a gospel that says, yeah, like it doesn't really matter because it's God's job to love us. And so we get to continue to operate and function and be our own God. And we don't actually ever have to confront the fact that we need him, that we need his mercy. And the Galatian church is dealing with both of these because they're actually the same thing. You can't try to make a different home from another gospel without tearing that home apart. Because no matter what, your legalism will always turn into license and your license will always turn into legalism. The rules that you follow will give you a feeling of self-righteousness that then will lead you to be able to justify treating people horribly. To write an article in the student paper about another person and just tearing them down. Their legalism had justified the license of essentially murdering that person with their words, tearing them down. And in the same way, your license will turn into its own legalism. Because as you just continue to excuse your sin and to ignore God's word and God's lordship over your life, pretty soon you will start to make rules about how you must live like that in order to flaunt the so-called freedom that you have. But both of those things bring you back to slavery. And they're not home. They're not where we belong. And so in this passage, Paul is using this language to try and get to the seriousness of this, of this false gospel, that if you believe it, it will lead you into destruction. And even if you are not necessarily believing it, if you don't reject it, if you don't silence it, if you don't take action against it, you're being primed to be led out of God's home and into a home that your hands built And so he says, I'm astonished at you, how quickly you have deserted the one who called you in the grace of Christ. I'm astonished. You've deserted God. That language is so strong. And then later in verses 8 and 9, he repeats his charge to these churches Anyone who is preaching you these false gospels, you have to basically curse them. Consider them accursed. Cut them off. They are trying to destroy this home that the gospel has built. They are trying to sow division, to rip apart what Jesus has brought together. Let them be accursed. 
And here is the way to let them be accursed. It's to believe him who has called you. To go as deep as you can possibly go into the depths of the gospel. You'll never exhaust it. It's not the front door. It's the entire structure of the house. In this house, in this home, we have all entered in through what Paul describes as the call. Back up to verse 6. You've deserted him, but don't worry about the deserted part right now. He's saying, God has called you. He's called you in. He has called you into the family. Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, has called you personally, individually, specifically. The one who is upholding all of the galaxies of this universe has spoken to you. What happens when God speaks? Going back to Genesis 1, the world was created. That same voice, the same God, has called you to him. Is your will stronger than the nothingness out of which God created the world? No. When God calls you in the grace of Christ, you are drawn into the family of God. In that family, you belong not because of what you look like, not because of what you do, not because of how you talk, not because of how you dress, but because he called you. He called you in the grace of Jesus. And when he calls you, your eyes are opened and you see You see a Lord who laid down his life for you. Who has paid the price for all of your sins. And you see the one who goes before all of us. Who went, as the Apostles' Creed said, descended into hell. The very depths of the realm of the dead. Truly dead. But heard his father call him back. To life, who resurrected ahead of us to show us that there is nothing that can separate us from this call. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He's called you. That is why you belong, friends. Trust that. You can put down your bricks and your mortar of trying to build on and add on to the home that God has built through the gospel. There is no other room that you need. Sometimes you're going to feel like you need a different room. Sometimes you're going to feel ashamed. Sometimes you're going to feel dirty. Sometimes you're going to feel alone. So you might be tempted to go out and build a little area where you can clean yourself up 
where you can get yourself together before going back into the home that the gospel is built so that you can show up there with a smile and say, oh yeah, everything's great because I just fixed up everything that was a mess. No, in this home, Jesus lives. And Jesus is the one who gets down on his knees to wash the feet of his disciples. And in this home, the father of the prodigal lives, who runs out to meet his filthy son and places his cloak on his shoulders. And in this home, there's a table. And in this home, there's a bed. And in this home, there's a kitchen and a porch. This idea of home is such a wonderful metaphor for what it's like to live in the gospel. For what it's like to have been called into the blessing of the grace of Jesus. Because it's rich. You receive cleansing. You receive fellowship. You receive forgiveness of sins. You receive richness of life. You receive a call to go out and to invite more people in. You receive everything that you need there. You don't need anything else. And so fill yourself with the gospel. Fill yourself with that call that you have received in the grace of Christ Jesus. Because then when somebody else comes to you preaching something else, even if that other person isn't a person but an angel, even if the person is so powerful and charismatic and compelling, you'll hear them say, yes, Jesus is awesome, but man, if we could do this too, then it'd really be good. You'll say, no, get away. I am full of the call of my Father, and he is all that I need. The other thing, the last thing I want to emphasize here is I want to draw your word to one, or your attention to one little word. One little word. It's in verse 6. We've already hinted at it, but I want to spend some time here. You've deserted him who is called, the little word is you. Singular. You. He is called you. This is important for us. Because if we don't believe that he has called me, if I have not personally received the call from God to trust in Jesus, that Jesus has died for my sins, that he's delivered me from death to life, then I know nothing of the power of the gospel. And my life will be lived trying to manufacture that power on my own, trying to create what I see in other people around me. And so I want not to disturb people who are typically introspective and question their faith. If you do that a lot, <laughs> you're probably being called all the time by God. That may, in fact, be what is leading you to question, is because you've realized who it is that's calling you and who you are to receive it. But instead, I want people who are like, yeah, the gospel figured it out, good. I know all the theological answers. I've heard it before. We're good. Let's get to the important stuff. 
you should not take much confidence that you have experienced this call if you haven't tasted its power. Because my fear for all of us is that we would end up being more like the man who is praying alongside of Jesus, God, thank you that I'm not like this sinner. Because we haven't ever really been confronted with who Jesus is and how he loves us in the gospel. And so what do you do if that's you? What, if you, what do you do if that's you? Your whole life, maybe you've grown up in the church, you've gone to church, and you're just like, yeah, like, yeah, I understand the information of the gospel, but as you look at your life, you see how you've tried to build a home apart from what God has given you. You see how you try and justify yourself by what you do. You see how you're more concerned about your work, what you can do, what you can earn, how you're more concerned with your merit than you are with the grace of Jesus. What do you do? You do the only thing that there is to do. The only thing that I could do when I was hearing the gospel for the first time and started believing it, you throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus. And as you do that, you receive his embrace. You're pulled into the home. And maybe you've walked around the home a million times, but when you come in and you see and you feel the power of God's love in that way, you'll realize that your whole life, God has been preparing you to receive the call, to receive the good news, to hear it, to believe it, and then to spend the rest of your life living in the grace of Jesus Christ, enjoying all of the treasures that are to be found in that home. And you'll be confident. You'll grow in confidence. You'll grow in sanctification, not based on what you can do, but based on how God continues to be gracious to you, how he continues to call you throughout your life. And you will be completely grounded, rooted, connected to the gospel. And it's the gospel alone that can bring you home. And so all of those longings to belong, all of those longings to matter, all of those longings to be loved, they're found there. And so trust the gospel Continue to trust the gospel. And don't ever assume that you're ready for the next step because there's not a next step. The next step is right off a cliff. Hold to the gospel, no matter what. Hold to it. Please pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we thank you 
thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you that how you call us in the grace of Jesus is not dependent on us. And God, we thank you for Paul's heart. Paul's heart for Christians who have tasted the power of that call in Jesus and his desire to protect them from self-righteous, legalistic, homebreakers. To reassure them that they have everything that they need because they have received your son. Lord, I ask us that we would have a sensitivity to the different ways that we are priming ourselves to be led away from the gospel of grace. Lord, we confess that we're blind often to the different expectations that we have of people, that how they have been called must look exactly like how we have been called, how they dress must match how we dress, how they interact must match how we interact. And Lord, we fight the wrong battles. And so God, I ask that you would give us this morning opportunity to stop, to repent, to remember the goodness and the perfection of the gospel that we believe. And Lord, also I ask that you would give us a passion for this. That Lord, just as this passage calls us to stop fighting about things that don't matter, it is also a call to start fighting about the only thing that matters, Lord. That we would ensure that the people that you call your children would know that they belong in this house. God, give us hearts to love, hearts to guard and protect, to nourish and see that your home, your house, is a house where sinners grow in grace. That you are patient with your people, Lord. That you transform them day by day, month by month, year by year. And so, God, I ask that you would help us to bear with one another. To have your mindset and your eyes for fellow believers, even as they might not be as polished as we want them to be. Even if they don't know all the right things to say or to do. God, that you would help us to have more of your heart, to have more of your eyes, and to love them with your love. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.